All right, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Let me read this and you follow along. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against the holy and the holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you're a sovereign God. We thank you that you are the ruler of heaven and earth, that you are in control of all things. God, we thank you that nothing surprises you, Uh, Nothing can come against you and prevail. So, Father, we have great confidence to come and pray and to ask you to keep us from sin, to ask you to bring us hope and encouragement and strength. God, to ask you to continue to save people and put them in this church family. And God, just help us to love them. Help us to take care of them, God. Father, we love you, and we pray that you would speak through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. The big picture in this passage that I kind of want you to get in your mind, kind of the framework of this passage is this, okay? Uh, There is a serious threat to the apostles, okay? To John and to Peter and to the early church, there's a serious threat. There's people that basically say, look, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, we're going to hurt you. Maybe we're going to kill you, okay? But we're going to harm you, okay? So there's a serious threat that comes against these guys. How do they handle that, okay? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I wonder, how do you handle a serious threat, okay? When, when, when something come, comes against you, when your safety is threatened, when your livelihood is threatened, when your relationships are threatened, when your comfort is threatened, how do you respond to that? Well, let me tell you what they do, okay? They come together with their, their, their other believers, okay, with their small group, with their church, and they pray, and they pray in such a way that the Spirit of God empowers them to continue to live in a way that is honorable to Jesus Christ, to continue to live out their faith, okay? So do you see that picture, okay? They're threatened, they come together and pray, they receive power to move forward in their faith, okay? Now about you guys, but I'll take some of that, amen? I want that in my life. Do you guys want that in your life? You know, whenever your life is threatened, whenever you're pressed, do you want to be able to say, okay, I know what to do here, I'm going to come to God, and I'm going to lift up my voice to Him, and I'm going to pray in such a way that the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit of God comes into my life, and I'm going to live out my faith, okay? That's exactly what I want to do in my life, all right? So, how did that happen here in Acts chapter 4? That's what we're going to look at this morning, okay? What's the process by which they, they, they make it through this threat, okay? To do that, we need to get a little context. If we go back to chapter 3, we see the beginning of this story. 
And Peter and John are going to the temple. They're going to the temple and they pass a panhandler, okay? A guy that's begging for money, okay? You, you see him probably quite a bit. If you go to the city, you, you understand kind of that concept. You've got someone who has their hand out. They've got a cup. They've got a dish. They've got something saying, you know, they're, they're a beggar, okay? They pass by him. Peter stops. He doesn't have any cash. He doesn't have any money. But he stops and, and he looks at the guy and he says, all right, silver and gold, I don't have. This is verse 6. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Okay? And the guy is 40 years old. He's been paralyzed all of his life. And the scripture says, Peter takes him by the hand and jerks him up. He gets strength in his legs. He begins to walk. Not only begins to walk, but he begins to leap. Okay? And he follows Peter and John around leaping. Okay? Now, whenever you've got a 40-year-old guy who's leaping, that tends to draw a crowd. Okay? Let's try to illustrate that. Jeff's about 40, maybe a little bit older. Jeff, maybe you just run across here and do some kind of big leaps. Would you do that for us? And now we will. Huh? Either way, that'd be good. It drawing attention. If you saw Jeff doing that, wouldn't that catch your attention? You'd kind of wonder what's up, wouldn't you? You know, he's kind of doing a little woo, you know, woo. Okay. Well, that's what happens. A crowd gathers, okay? A crowd gathers. What does Peter do? He says, hey, this would be a great time to preach, wouldn't it? So he preaches his sermon again, okay? Remember, what, remember, remember Peter's sermon? What is it? Jesus is awesome, you killed him. He preaches that same sermon here in Acts chapter 3, okay? Jesus is awesome, you killed him. Man, that greatly annoys the religious leaders, okay? Now, I'm not just making that up. It actually says that in chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 2 says that they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, Okay? Now, some of you know what it is to be greatly annoying, okay? Your, your, your parents or your kids will probably tell you that, you know, that happens sometimes. You're greatly annoying. But let me, let me, let me just say this. They were not greatly annoying because they talked too much or because they, they always had a story to one-up everybody else or, or because they're the, the person at soccer that's screaming so loud nobody else can hear, you know, the game. They, they weren't annoying for a, a bad reason. They weren't rude or inconsiderate. You know why they were annoying? Because they would not stop talking about Jesus, okay? Now, they weren't annoying to people that loved Jesus. They were annoying to these religious leaders that hated Jesus, okay? And so to try to shut them up, they put them in jail. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 3, it says they, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So Peter and John spend the night in prison, okay? The next day, they get them out. And, and they, they address them, or they give them a chance to speak. And in verse 8, it says that the Spirit of God filled Peter. Peter was filled with the Spirit, and he preaches the same sermon again. Look at verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. What's the sermon again? Jesus is awesome. You killed him, okay? He's coming back to that again. In verse 13, the religious leaders are really puzzled about this. They can't, they can't figure out this. You know, they killed Jesus. You know, they put him to death. They, they whipped him and scourged him and beat him and hung him on a cross and nailed him up there. And, and he died. All right. And now his followers, they're not intimidated. Look, look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. I mean, these aren't trained speakers. These aren't guys that went to seminary. These are just regular guys that will not be quiet about Jesus. And they can't intimidate them, and they can't threaten them. They won't be quiet about Christ. And so all they can do is they just threaten them, okay? They're in a position where they can't do anything to them right now, but they say, look, if you keep this up, man, we're going to hurt you, okay? Look at, look at verse 17, 18, and 21. It says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more 
to anyone in this name. Verse 18, so they called him and charged him to speak or teach it, not to speak at teacher at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 21, it says, when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Okay? You know what it's like to be threatened, right? You know? Hey, look, warning and pain are going to come on you if you, if, you, if you keep doing this. That's what it is to be threatened. Here's a lot of instances where we're threatened. Sometimes we're not even threatened by people. Sometimes we're threatened by circumstances, aren't we? Yeah, you ever, you ever get threatened by a health crisis or a financial crisis? And basically what happens in your life is, is this thing's here in your life and, and it threatens your comfort, it threatens your safety, it threatens, you know, you, you, your prosperity or who you are or, or, or your relationships. And, and so, so they're being threatened. And so what do they do when they're threatened? Well, what they do is, is they pray, okay? They pray. Notice how they pray. They come together with their, their, their friends, verse 25 talks, or verse 23, excuse me, talks about them gathering together with their friends and, and they pray to God. Now, here's the interesting thing about this prayer. We're going to spend the most rest of our time talking about this prayer. They only ask for one thing, okay, that we know of here that's recorded for us in Scripture. They ask for one thing. But I want you to notice that the prayer starts in verse 24 and it goes through 25 and 26 and 27 and 28 and they don't ask for anything until verse 29. Isn't that interesting? That they spend all that time, they start praying in verse 24, and they don't ask for anything until verse 29, okay? So, so what's going on with their prayer? What, 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 what are they spending all that time doing if they're not asking for anything? A lot of times when we think of prayer, we simply think of me asking God for something, right? But, but in this instance, the, 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 they do something before they ask God for, for their request. Now, what do they do, Okay. We need to learn about prayer. This is a great place to learn about this. What they do, first of all, is they begin to recount in their mind and with their mouth the attributes of God. Okay? So before they ask God for anything, they begin to talk about who God is and what He's done and what He will do. Okay? Now, there's something really significant about that. Okay? Because it doesn't just happen here. I, I could actually show you lots of prayers in the Bible that happen exactly this way. Okay? They're, they're praying, okay, uh, and they spend their time reciting, first of all, recounting who God is, okay? Now, now that's really significant because, first of all, what, a lot of times that's not what's on our mind, okay? When you get threatened with something, what's usually on your mind? The, the threat, right? I mean, you're usually consumed with the threat. But, but even when you're not threatened, what's usually on your mind throughout the day? It's usually stuff that's really not that significant, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of times it's simply trivialities, you know, it's, how come I can't get any good movies mailed to me in Netflix? Or, you know, what am I going to do with my, my crabgrass in my yard? Or, uh, you know, the ball game or your schedule or, you know, cleaning your house and your house being dirty. And just, just all this stuff that really does not matter at all in the scope of life. But let me tell you what really matters, friends. What really matters is whether or not you know God. Okay? That really matters. Okay, hear that from me, please. It infinitely matters whether you know God. That's going to have great implications upon how you pray and how you live and how you trust Him and what you do in a crisis and what you do when your life is threatened. All of that is going to really matter, okay? It's going to matter whether or not you know God. Now, what do I mean by know God? Well, I simply mean, do, do you know Him? Do you know who He is? Do you know what He's done? Do you know His character? Do you know what He will do? Do you know His promises? Do you know what delights Him? Do you, do you know what, 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 what makes Him angry? 
You know, do you know what God has said about judgment? Do you know what He said about sin? Do you know Him? Do you know God? That, that's infinitely important. And not only do you know Him, but is that stuff on the screen of your life? Okay, now what do I mean by that? Well, if you just kind of picture your computer, my computer, there's tons of stuff in the hard drive, okay? I've got a program called Logos Bible Software, and I mean, it has more books than I will ever read in my lifetime on that computer. Most of those books never make it to the screen. Okay? They're in the hard drive, but they're not on the screen. And in the same way, there's a lot of folks that if you would say, well, do you know something about God? Well, yeah, I know something about God. Well, tell me about the Trinity, or tell me about the virgin birth, or tell me about the cross, or tell, tell me about God's character. Is He loving? Is He gracious? Is He merciful? And they could probably say, okay, yeah, I can formulate an answer to that. I, I, I know some things about God. But the reality is, those things are not usually on the screen of their life. Okay? In other words, they go through a day... And they're not thinking about God's character. They're not thinking about God's attributes. They're not thinking about God's promises. They're not thinking about God. What are they thinking about? Crabgrass and Netflix, right? I mean, that's what they're thinking. It's stuff like that. And so it's interesting to me that when these guys are pressed, what do they do? Immediately on the screen of their life come the attributes of God. God is this. God is this. God does this. The Bible says this about God. Before they ever ask for anything, what are they doing? They're they're, they're recalling, they're drawing up who God is. Friends, please don't don't let that slip by. That's a significant thing in the Scriptures. The Bible, almost without, without fail, people always pray this way. Now, don't hear me saying there's a wrong way to pray. I actually don't think, I mean, well, there's a wrong, wrong way to approach God. We'll talk about that in a minute. But as far as, you know, do you have to use King James English? Do you have to, you know, say, you know, thou art thy mighty... You know, I, I mean, I don't... You just pray as a child coming to his father, okay? I'm not saying that, that there's, you're praying wrongly. But I'm saying as we look at the Bible, the Bible does certain things with prayer. And this is one of them that it consistently does. Is that as you pray, you remember who God is. Now, now not only do you remember who he is, but what's even more powerful is that you articulate that. What does that mean? Not only do you, do you think about the characteristics of God, but they come out your mouth, okay? You, you sing them, you know, you read them, you speak them, you encourage your friend with them, okay? There's something about speaking the characteristics of God that is, that is really powerful in a person's life. Now, you might ask, well, why is that powerful, Pastor? Why, why should we tell God who he is? Is he confused about it? Does he not know, you know? That's not, that's not the reason why. Sometimes we tell people, you know, things about themselves that, that they're not quite certain of, right? God, that's not the way it is with God. You know, you're never going to say to God, God, you are holy, and he's going to go, really? I, I kind of thought I was, but, you know, do you really think so? Do you see that? In, no, never, okay? So why, why, do we, why do we speak who God is to him, okay? It's a thing the Bible tells us to do. It shows us to do it. Why do we do it? Well, number one... Because it brings glory to God, okay? Now, is that a significant thing? That is the reason you exist. Let me tell you, friends, if you don't give glory to God, if your life does not bring glory to God, some, someday you're going to die, and I guarantee you, your life will be wasted, okay? Someday you will stand before the judgment seat of God, and you will realize that you wasted every minute of it. Because that's the reason you exist. The Bible tells us we exist for the glory of God. 
And it's only when we glorify Him that we're satisfied. It's only when we glorify Him that, we, that, that, that our life purpose is fulfilled. It's only when we glorify Him that we see things rightly and that we understand His plan and that we understand what life is all about. It's only when nothing comes together until we bring glory to God. And so it's a significant thing to say that speaking the attributes of God glorifies Him, okay? Now, now, now why speak them and why go into such detail, Okay? Why, 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 didn't the, why didn't the apostles just say, hey, God, you're awesome. You know, here's what we want. Well, first of all, it brings greater glory to God when we actually study, think about what I would call give him intelligent praise. Let me give you an example of that, okay? I did this with my wife last night. I knew what she was going to say, but I went ahead and did it just so I could tell you that I have proven this, okay? I, I told my wife this. I said, honey, which do you like better? I'm going I'm to give you two things here. I'm going to say two things to you. You tell me which you like better, okay? A, here it is. I said, honey, you sure are pretty. Okay, I said, that's A. Do you like that? Okay. I said, B, honey, would you rather me say this or something like this? And I said to her, I don't remember exactly the words I said, but I said something like, man, honey, you are so beautiful. I love your lips, and I like how full they are, and I like how you have those little freckles right above them, and, and I like how, how it curves right here, at the, right underneath your nose. You have that little curvature, and, and I like how when you smile, there, there's these two mounds that kind of pop up on your cheeks, you know? And, and, and you know, I, I just began to describe her face, you know, and I just began to talk about, you know, how, 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 she, how beautiful she is and, and how I like her. And I got done, and I said, which of those do you like better? And she said, I'll take the second one, you know? Now, now Why? Now, is there anything wrong with, honey, you're pretty? No, nothing wrong with that. But see, on the, on, on the second one, what did I do? I showed her that, you know what, I've thought about this. You know, I'm not just saying this. I've thought about why I think you're pretty. I've, I've studied your face, and, I, and I'm going to tell you what, what, what I really like about it, okay? And in the same way, is there anything wrong with saying, boy, God, you're great? No, nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do. But isn't it better to say, man, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. And the book of Isaiah says that, that all the oceans of the world are simply a drop in the bucket to you. And then if you put all the, all the nations of the earth on the scales, God, you tip them over. And God, there is no one like you and nothing is impossible for you. Isn't that better? I mean, what are we doing? We're actually thinking in our mind, this is who God is. This is what God does. This is why he is glorious. And so you ought to speak the attributes of God, first of all, because it brings glory to Him. Second of all, you ought to speak the attributes of God because it does something in your soul and for your faith. Okay? Please, please believe me on this. It really does. There is something about you formulating in your mind and using your brain that God has given you to, to, to think about who God is and what He's done and then articulate that into a sentence or phrase or words that you either speak to someone else or you speak back to God. There is something powerful about that process, okay? Let me give an example. There is never a day, never a day, when I wake up and I'm confused about who made the world. There's not. You know, I've never once woken up and said, you know what, I think President Obama gave us this day, you know? We should write a letter and thank him for that, you know? I don't, I don't ever do that. I, never, 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 never. I'm not confused about that. 365 days a year, I know that God made the world and he made this day. I know that. I'm never confused about how I should feel about that, okay? 
Never once do I wake up and say, you know what? God made this day. I bet I ought to be a gripey malcontent all day, you know? I bet that's how I ought to respond. I never think that. I, I never think that. So I know in my mind, I always know that God made the world, and I always know that God wants me to rejoice in what he's made and be thankful for it. I always know that. But you know what? There is something powerful. Even though I always know those things, and they're really pretty simple things in my mind, in my faith, even though that that's true, there is something powerful about me getting up in our drive to school and me saying, okay, kids, Psalm 118.24 says this, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There is something, do you get what I'm saying? There's something uh, in my soul that happens and in my mind and with my faith when I verbalize those truths. Now, did I know them before? Yeah, I knew them before. I'm not confused about them. But there's something powerful that happens when I speak the truths of God. You, You know why? Because it puts me in a posture of faith. You know, I'm saying those things. Sometimes we'll say that verse three or four times. You know, if I'm kind of grumpy or if I'm just not looking forward to the day, man, I'll say it over and over again. This day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's rejoice. Kids, we got to rejoice and be glad in this day. I mean, I'm doing something for my soul when I recite the word of God, when I speak the truths of God. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm placing myself in a right posture toward God. That's what they're doing when they pray here. They're, They're getting in a right posture toward God. Because it's really important that you're in the right posture toward God when you pray. Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says you can be in some postures and God's not going to hear you. Okay? Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. You hear that? Listen to this next part. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see, my friends, you, you, you can have a mindset and a heart that basically keeps God from hearing your prayers. The Bible said that very specifically to husbands. First Peter. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers, listen, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, what's the Bible saying there? The Bible is saying that a husband, if he treats his wife with disdain or with dishonor, you know what's going to happen when he comes to God and says, God, I got these problems in my life. God, I got this business I'm trying to run. God, I got these, this sickness in my life. I've got cancer. and God, I want you to help me. The Bible says God's not hearing. Why? Because his posture is one of anger and, and dishonor toward his wife. In, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. It starts up in verse uh, 9. He says, pray like this. And he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. And he goes through the Lord's Prayer. And he ends it with this verse. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. What is God saying there? If you have a posture of unforgiveness toward your brother, God's not going to hear your asking for forgiveness. Okay, so, so what I'm saying is, this is not a minor thing that they're doing. This is not a fancy introduction to their prayer. You know what they're doing? They're getting their heart and their posture right before God. Before they ask for anything. Okay, they're, they're saying, okay, we're under a threat here. You know, we've got this thing pressing into our lives. And so what we need to make sure is that we come to God in an appropriate way. And so how do they come to Him? They come to Him stirring up faith. They come saying, okay, God, we know these things about you. 
We know this is who you are. You know, we're, we're scared because we got people saying they're going to harm us. But God, we know you're in control. And we know you're sovereign. And we know you're creator. And we know nothing happens without your permission. And so God, we're confident to ask you for this thing. They're, they're getting their posture right before God. Man, that matters. That matters. You know why that matters so much? Because the Bible says that we need to pray in faith. Okay? James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Listen to this verse. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. My friends, that's a scary verse. Let me read that again. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So what do we need to do? We need to ask in faith. Okay? Now, I used to think that just meant believing that you're going to get what you asked for. You know? God, give me one of them new Cadillacs. Oh, God, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. You know, where's it at? I'm going out to my Yaris. It's going to be a Cadillac. Oh, it's still a Yaris. No. You know, that, that's, that's not what that means. That's silly. You, you know why that's silly? Because sometimes that prayer I just prayed, God's not going to answer that. It's a dumb prayer. I mean, it's, it's not what God wants me to have. I, mean, I ain't getting the will of God. I need to ask what. So, so it, it, praying in faith does not mean just believing you're going to get what you ask for. There's more to it than that. Praying in faith is praying with a posture saying, God, I believe you, ha- you are who the Bible says you are. I believe these things about you. About you, God. That's faith. I believe it's about you. And that, that, that's why I'm bringing my request to you. Okay? And so, so this matters how we pray. Let's give another example. Let's say that you messed up, okay? None of you can identify, can you? Let's say you messed up. You've blown it in your spiritual life, and man, you've sinned, and you're in need of repentance and confession and forgiveness, okay? Sometimes it's hard to come to God. You know why? Because we just feel so ashamed, so embarrassed. Especially if you've blown it multiple times. You're like, man, God, I don't even know if I want to come. You know, I just... You know what you need to do? You need to pray in faith. How do, you, how do you take a posture of faith toward God? How do you do that? Well, David did it. Psalm 51 is when he confesses his sin and, and prays for forgiveness about having an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Listen to how he starts Psalm 51. Psalm 51 verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. What, what is, how does David start that out? He starts out by saying, okay, God, you're a God that's full of steadfast love. And you're a God that is abounding in mercy. Why does he say that? Is he trying to convince God of that? No, God knows that. He's saying that for his own benefit to take a posture of faith toward God. Saying, God, I can come with all my junk. You know why? Because, God, I know that you're full of steadfast love. And you're full of abundant mercy. And so so I can come, Lord, and ask you to, to forgive me and change me. And create, here's what David asked for. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a, a right spirit in me. All right. So what does this church do? What do, the, what do these believers do? They're under a threat. But you know what? They remember the sovereignty of God. They remember the power of God. They remember that God is Lord. And so they, they begin to pray. And how do they begin to pray? They, they pray this way. 
They say in verse 24, sovereign Lord. The word sovereign means, means it's where we get our word despot from. It's one who has supreme control. Okay? Verse 24, they say, God, you created the heavens and the earth. God, you, you made everything. You're in control of everything. And then look what they do. They quote Psalm 2. Okay? Now, first of all, there's a principle here. It is wise for you to pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Will you do that? Pray it. Man, grab the scriptures and pray them. Grab hold of a promise and pray that promise. You know, ask God to do what he said he would already do. You know, talk about what what he said in his word. Okay, that's a powerful prayer that the the, the people in, in the New Testament did that. So you know what they do? They're under a threat. Okay, these people have basically said, we're opposed to you. We're opposed to your God. We're opposed to your Jesus. and We're going to take you out. Do you know what they do? They go back to Psalm 2. Because Psalm 2 talks about when people oppose God. Here's what Psalm 2 says. Why do the nations rage? That word rage means to stomp and snort like a horse, okay? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. His anointed is Jesus. So Psalm, Psalm 2, 1 and 2 says, you know what? All the nations of the world, they come against God. They say, God, we're not going to obey you. We're not going to follow you. We're not going to yield ourselves to you. You tell us to do this. We're not doing it. We're living our own way. We're going to be our own God. Some of you have had that, that kind of history in your life, haven't you? Where God laid out his commands and you said, I'm not following them. I'm not doing them. Okay, you're against God. You're opposing God. Okay, now let me ask you this. Does God get intimidated when the nations of the world align themselves together against God. Is God, is God intimidated by North Africa, by, by countries like Egypt and Tunisia and, 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 uh, and Saudi Arabia and, and, and Jordan? Is God intimidated by those countries that say, we don't believe in Jesus? I don't think so, because listen to what Psalm 2 says. Okay, after the whole nations align themselves against the Lord, verse 4 says this, He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. God says, oh, isn't that cute how y'all get all your little missiles pointed at me? Go ahead and fire them now. We'll see what happens. God snickers. Why, why, would, why would they talk about Psalm 2? You know why? That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? When you think about, when you think about people coming against God, it's pretty encouraging to come back and say, you know what, God, God's, not, God's not intimidated. God's not afraid. God's not shaken. God's not rattled. God, God's not upset. Okay, he's not overthrown here. And notice where they let leads him. Look at verse 27. It says, truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. Okay, remember the crucifixion. Okay, who's against Jesus? Look at verse 27. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, everybody's against Jesus. You remember the crucifixion? King Herod said, crucify him. Pontius Pilate led him to his death. You know, the people of Israel cried out, crucified. The Romans nailed his, his hands and his feet to the cross. Everybody was against Jesus. They all said, we don't want you. We don't want you teaching. We don't want you preaching. We don't want you healing. We don't want you to be king. We don't want you to be Lord. Man, what happened? How, how did God handle that? Look at verse 28. He said, you know what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You know what God did with that? God just turned it around and he used their evil. He used the crucifixion to be your salvation. All, all, all those people aligned against Jesus. You know what God did? He just turned it right in his path and he used it.
for the salvation of the world. Why, why would they say that in their prayer? You know why they would say that? Because they're facing a threat. And so you know what they're reminding themselves of? You know what? God can turn my cancer into his glory. God can turn my financial problems into his glory. God can turn my, my, my enemies attack on me for his glory. God can, God can turn my loss for his glory. God, 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 God's not intimidated by any of that. And he can turn that for his glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, tells us that whatever horrible thing that we might find ourselves up against, God is able to work all things together for good to those who love him who are called according to his purpose. All right, so for most of their prayer, what are they doing? They're reminding themselves, God is sovereign. God is creator. God, God is not intimidated by the nations. It doesn't matter how many people are aligned against God. God, God, is not, God is not, he's not bothered by any of that. He is able. He is powerful. He is mighty. And so in all of that, what do they do? They ask in verse 29. Here's what they finally ask for. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What's the one thing they ask for? They say, God, give us power to continue to speak of Jesus boldly. Now, is that kind of funny to anybody that that would be the request? I mean, think about this. What got them arrested? Speaking about Jesus boldly. Okay? What? What threatens their safety and well-being? Speaking about Jesus boldly. What could get them imprisoned or impoverished or executed? Speaking Jesus about Jesus boldly. And so what do they pray for? God, help us to speak boldly about Jesus. There's a great lesson there. There's a lot of things in my life that I'm, I'm praying for, you know? I'm, I'm praying for my kids, and I'm praying for this church, and I'm praying for our finances, and I'm praying for praying for paying for college, and my wife's going to have a surgery pretty soon. I'm praying about that. You know, I'm praying for all these things that are important to me in my life. But you, you know what is the biggest thing in my life? I, I, I learned this from these folks right here. You know what's the biggest thing that I should be concerned about? That I don't fall into sin. That I don't fall away from the plan of God. That I stay on the path he has for me. That's what they're praying. They're saying, God, we're, 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 they're doing it right now. Notice he says, they say in verse 29, And now grant to, to, to your servants that we continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Continue. They're doing it right now, but you know what they're afraid of? They're afraid that these threats, this opposition, this pressure that's coming at them is going to knock them off the will of God. They say, God, we don't want that. God, the thing that we really need from you is power to keep doing what we know we're supposed to do. Isn't that great? It's kind of puzzling to me. They don't ask for safety. They don't say, God, keep us, keep us safe. They don't, they don't ask that they not be crucified like Jesus was. They don't, they don't ask for protection over their, their finances. and fam- Now, maybe they did later, you know, but, but the prayer we have here in the Bible, one thing. God, keep us doing your will. That's a good lesson, isn't it? That's what's most important in each of our lives. If we get that right, that other stuff's probably going to be okay, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That's the big thing. Not that we don't pray for that other stuff. We do, we do, we do. I'm going to keep doing it. You should keep doing it. But, but the big thing is, is praying, God, keep us in your will. Keep us from disobeying. 
Well, what happens? Well, God answers a prayer. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers their prayer, and they speak the word of God with boldness. Let me ask you, what are you, what are you praying about? What are you praying about? I think you can tell a lot about where we're at spiritually. I think you can tell a lot about what we love, about what's important to us. About what, what, what are you praying about? Are you praying at all? Those are big questions, aren't they? Now, when we pray, how should we pray? Well, we should pray first of all by, by getting our posture toward God right, getting our hearts toward God right. How do we do that? We do that not by thinking about Jason. You know, I don't need to even think about me. You don't need to think about you. You know what we need to think about? We need to think about God. We need to focus our attention on who He is before we come to Him with our prayer. Let's do that. Amen. Father, I, I ask you, God, to, to open our eyes to see who you are. Father, because you're, you're incredible. You're awesome. We agree with Peter, God, that, that you are awesome. You, you're, you're, you're victorious over death. You're victorious over sin. You're, you're victorious over the world. God, you're the reigning supreme king. And Father, there is nothing too hard for you. God, there's not a problem in this room. There's not a struggle in this room that is too difficult for you to handle. And Father, we just we believe that. Father, we trust you. God, we want to pray in faith. And God, I, I believe this is what it means to pray in faith, is, is to come and, and to say, Lord, we, we have full confidence in who you are and what you've done and what you will do. And so, Lord, we ask you to keep us from sin. We ask you to keep us on, on the path of righteousness, to keep us in your will. God, that we would not stray, that we would not, we would not neglect to do what you've commanded us to do. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name.